It is with a heavy heart and to my utmost embarrassment that I have to read today's eulogy. We have congregated to say a last farewell to the European Pokemon Go competitive scene. It is the aftermath of the Liverpool Regional Championship. We are Zizu Wireless and Speedius Chief 2. This is the Show 6 Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the Show 6 Podcast. Today, we will be covering Nighttime Clash's victory at the Play Pokemon Regional Championship in Liverpool. The biggest European regional to date, 192 people, and then an the American wins it all. So that will of course have some implications for the intercontinental rivalries. And yeah, there, there's also been some interesting meta developments. Um, two dugongs in the grand finals, multiple flavors of Annihilate making it far, and also some other moveset surprises. So yeah, I am Zwilis, and I am joined today, as per usual, by my co-host Speedius Chief 2. Speedy, <laughs> this is a big one. What's on your mind? So I am. I'm so sorry. I'm, I promise I'm not laughing. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have to mute my mic. Well, I did have to mute my mic because I was crying instead of laughing. Right? I, I'm just. I'm. I'm so upset. I'm just crying in solidarity with all yeah. of the European trainers. Thank you, you know. So much. <laughs> USA. Uh, sorry. Sorry that that uh, that came out there. But no. <laughs> in all seriousness, I'm really excited for this episode. Liverpool is a lot of fun. I took a look back at day two in particular. I watched it pretty closely. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was just a thrill, a lot of really close matches, uh, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of animated people on stage as well. Yeah. I noticed a lot of folks <laughs> were, were having a lot of fun uh, with their, with their wins and, and you could see it on their face that they lost. You didn't even have to look at the screen. Right. Uh, but no, it was an incredible experience and you were actually there in person as well. So I'm really excited to see what you have to say, but let me just take one piece of what you said earlier about the dugong. Yes. There's a skull debuff. Uh, infestation, right? There's, there's just running wild with the skull debuffs from Whiskash, but Dugong threw more debuffs than than Whiskash did in the grand finals by a long shot. That's right. Um, one hundred percent debuffing um, makes in terms of a difference compared to the fifty percent from Skull. I would suppose. Like, well, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about you it. Guaranteed. Yeah, I, I have some, I have some figures for you. But w- once we get to the grand finals, I'll, I'll drop some numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of figures, uh, if we take a look at the general usage statistics, mm-hmm. I do think looking back at Charlotte, the big story was um, the arrival of the ape in Ayalape. Um, it actually went down in usage. Like you would assume that people might pick it up more because, um, yeah, like now more people have access to it. Maybe evolved mm-hmm. a good one, used the event to evolve uh, one with like the the fitting IV spread. But no, Annihilate is down 13%. Um, Lickitung is up 10%. Yes, uh, many people just feared um, like the ape and wanted to put less counter weaknesses on their team. Mm-hmm. And also Azumarill is down 17% um, from Charlotte. So maybe people felt as if they were over-preparing for Annihilate, but now um, they course-corrected a little bit. Everything else kind of stayed the same. So 
Nemata is somewhat stabilized, just the, the Annihilate ping mm-hmm. uh, made for a bit of movement. But curiously enough, I do think this was actually um, more of an Annihilate regional than the previous one. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a really important discussion that needs to be had about the difference between targets and environment. Now, what I mean by that is a lot of Pokemon come out and they have just incredible targets. We looked at Toxapex when it first came out. We said, oh, this is the hardest wall in the world to Azumarill. If Toxapex finds Azumarill, it's GG's, it's over. Uh, we, we saw when Cloudsire came out, like, oh man, if Cloudsire encounters a, a Bassidon or even a, a Stunfisk, you know, it can just really just pummel those Pokemon with Earthquake. And Sure, like there are a lot of targets there, but you also have to think about the environment that these Pokemon are coming into. I mean, uh, we saw Toxpex come in when Lantern was gaining a lot of prominence, when you had Galarian Stunfist still very prominent in the meta. We saw Clydesar come in and we thought that was the next big thing. And you saw a lot of Skarmory, a lot of Whiskash, a lot of counters to that. And now that we have Annihilate, it's almost like almost like a perfect environment for this Pokemon to succeed. And that's, that's really uh, how, I, how I think about it, because... Instead of having a flying type Pokemon like Skarmory that would just air slash through it, all the Skarmories are running Steel Wing. And with Shields, Annihilate can win those matchups. I mean, granted, if you even see a Mandibuzz that has Snarl, Annihilate, due to its dual typing, can endure some aerial aces, some foul plays, and they can actually win against Mandibuzz in certain Shield scenarios. Um, so, I mean, there are there are so many different uh, targets for Annihilate, yes, but it's also in the perfect environment. I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that, but I think you have to have both of those things to have a Pokemon really stick in the meta. Um, while I generally do agree with that, and while I do also think that that's partly what made Pokemon like Medicham great in the future, uh, in the future, in the past, probably also in the future, like it's yeah. never, never go It'll be away. back. <laughs> um, but <laughs> God, what a mess up. Um, but yeah, like I do think the the interesting thing about Annihilate and what I referred to earlier as like the different flavors of it is that you can kind of mold your Annihilate in a way that you prepare it best for the environment it finds itself in. Because mm-hmm. we actually had two Annihilates uh, facing off in the grand finals, but they did run different movesets. Um, I think yeah. that Nighttime Clashes, Victorious Annihilate, um, went for the more standard moveset of uh, Ice Punch and Shadow Ball, uh-huh. while um, Tomahawk UK traded the Ice Punch for... Uh, the option of Night Slash, which fires off a little bit quicker. It's only 35 energy. You get there in five counters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it felt like, oh, it, overall, um, we did see a little trend from Ice Punch to Night Slash. But in the in the final matchup, um, Ice Punch actually came in clutch, finding targets like the Gliger, um, like the, the Venusaur on Tomahawk's team. And yeah, it really, it really depends on what you're up against and um, how you want to tackle that. Yeah, I agree. I I, I actually have in my notes, are we going to talk about the correct Annihilate moveset? I, I'm curious <laughs> what you think the correct moveset is. And I'm just going to ignore the fact that you said earlier that we should pick an Annihilate that fits the rest of our team. I'm just going to ask you straight up, Swai, what, what's the correct moveset? Ice Punch or Night Slash? Um, I can tell you, I can tell you right now, if you want to have success in the Go Battle League, I would recommend Night Slash personally. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think like it's not even about that twelve point five percent chance to to boost your attack, but um, 
If you're stuck in the mirror and your bait move takes more energy and one more counter, that's not great. And also, I do think that Annihilate overall just doesn't really have um, the profile like um, Pokemon such as Skarmory, where you know, okay, they have great resistances, they have great bulk. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it takes them um, eight seconds to get to, to their move. It doesn't really matter because they have the longev longevity to stay in a matchup anyway. I don't think Annihilate is, is quite that Pokemon. Um, it's not as squishy as, as other fighters, but it still appreciates getting to its moves early. And I think play with Night Slash, general play with Night Slash is just far more dynamic. And mm -hmm. um, Agreed. yeah, just as a general purpose Pokemon, I do think the Night Slash Ape is the better one. It's really tough because a lot of trainers were kind of gravitated towards Ice Punch, Shadow Ball, first for the coverage, but second for the prime target of Gligar, because you want to be able to force shields from Gligar pretty pretty uh, consistently if you're able to. But just the pacing of Gligar is so hard to match, right? The wing attacks, five and then four for the aerial aces. Meanwhile, Annihilate is struggling over here, you know, six counters to the first <laughs> Ice Punch, six to the next, five to the third. It's really, really tough to kind of match that pacing. So even if you have energy advantage, it can be difficult to take down the Gligar. And if it's a regular Gligar, that gets even more difficult because it's not going to take as much damage from the Ice Punch. Something I noticed in the tournament, though, <laughs> three different matches. After the second one, I was I was really kind of like, wait, is this a is this a trend? Is this something that's happening? In three different games, we saw Annihilates throw Shadow Balls into normal types, which was, <laughs> I know this is like a nitpicky thing, but I was like, am I in the Twilight Zone? Like, why does this keep happening? The first was in Losers Round 2, Zone A22 versus, is this Snowman or Sneeuman? How do you, how do you say that name? Um, I am not Dutch, so I do not know for sure. Okay. I would pronounce it Snowman. 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 So, something around that. Um, I, I do think that's that's pretty close already. Um, um, yeah, I, I heard some yeah. of the casters. I think say Snowman. I'm not sure, but maybe Snoo is 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 more accurate. Maybe, maybe he can correct us if he if he finds this episode. Well, the first one was in Losers Round Two. Zone A versus Snowman. Uh, Snowman catches the Shadow Ball from Annihilate onto his Lickitung, but it still wasn't enough to win. He lost the game with two shields. And then Tomahawk was actually responsible for two of these instances, right? Two out of three. So in Losers Round 4, Game 3, Tomahawk versus Status Stan, uh, Tomahawk was able to catch Shadow Ball onto his Lickitung. Really, really nice swap. I think he ended up winning that mm -hmm. game. And then in the Losers Finals, Tomahawk versus Pablo. He, he led his Annihilate into Vigoroth. And the game ended the same way because Pablo is just unable to take back switch advantage. And uh, at the very end, in the last moment, he threw a shadow ball into normal type Vigoroth <laughs> when he was already like at 100 energy and he was just running through that team because he was hard countering it. So I think two of those were maybe, you know, on, on purpose. The third one was just intentional, flagrant foul, you know, throw, throw the yellow card, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um... Now Nighttime Clash is a regional champion, but apparently his influence was felt even before he, he got that crown because <laughs> like he, he did advise us to do just that. Uh, it would be it would be considered disrespectful if you don't throw the less effective move to close out the game. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that was just 
a bit of a bit of Pokemon Go PvP culture that we witnessed there on stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think so as well. It's um, it's, <laughs> it's always a fun moment, right? It's always so satisfying, especially in in GBL to catch a Shadow Ball onto a normal type or a Dark type. It definitely can uh, put you ahead in the matchup. And we saw a couple of those, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I I was beginning to think like, man, is there like a underlying theme or are, are people going to be afraid to throw Shadow Ball now with an Eyelid because they think the Lickitung is going to switch in? Like, you know, what can it's we expect? It's even more forward? satisfying to just KO a normal type with with the Shadow Ball. <laughs> I did that the other day in his Cup where um, I drift uh-huh. him Shadow Ball a low plenty. That was fun. Um, we will never see that anti Pokemon, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do think that we will see more Annihilate going forward. I do think this Liverpool regional was definitely um, a proof of concept. I would not mm. be surprised if we saw and see the number rise from the the odd twenty percent Annihilate that we that we had this time to. I would honestly not be surprised if we see it at around forty percent um, in in the next in the coming weeks. Um, really? Because as you said, like it does have tools to basically hit the entire meta and besides Gliga, um there's not even there's not even really flyers that can um touch it too much um depending mm-hmm. on the moves that you you choose to run mm-hmm. um, speaking of Gliga, i also want to point out that with how how close the margins are mm-hmm. and with how difficult it is to just time the pacing and get everything right um also going back to to the point of catching shadow balls i do Mm -hmm. think players really need to be on high alert because annihilate very unforgiving pokemon but high reward as well so i think people really need to sharpen their skills in terms of waiting a turn and seeing okay what, what is my opponent opponent going to do if there is a situation where you can just wait for the fast move animation to go through. Um, there have been instances where just waiting to see what the opponent is doing would prevent um, a potential Shadow Ball catch on a normal type. Uh, and there also has been a, a moment in the Grand Finals where a Nighttime Clash energy, uh, uh, where Nighttime Clash actually managed to um, outpace uh, a, a Gliger on Tomahawk's side um, because Tomahawk swapped in a little late and Nighttime Clasher has the Ice Punch coverage. Um, Tomahawk did do a three-turn Ice Shard with, uh, with his Dugong and that ended up mattering because um, because of that, Nighttime Clasher managed to get to the Killing Ice Punch one turn earlier than uh, Tomahawk got to um, a potentially Killing Aerial Ace. So mm-hmm. you really you you really have to um be on your A game with Annihilate in the meta. It just it just can be over so quickly if you have a Pokemon that has that kind of coverage, that kind of fast move mm-hmm. pressure and that those those possibilities just flip the game on its head with just a couple of counters advantage. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because there are a lot of situations. I can't remember which game it was in particular, but I do remember a game where Nighttime Clasher seemed to be on the back, back foot in the grand finals. I think he lost lead pretty hard and he went for uh, protection advantage and he had his Annihilate with two shields versus, uh, versus Tomahawk. And it just felt like 
you know, he, he even absorbed a surf, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, took damage on his Annihilate. And he still just had an easy path to victory because as soon as you are in a matchup, you know, two Annihilates, one on each side, as soon as you go, you walk into that situation, go into that matchup. If you go down a shield, things get so much more precarious because the opposing Annihilate can just shadow ball all the way. So it almost feels kind of similar to facing a Frostlass or a Charizard, because when you go down shields against those Pokemon, their sweet potential is so massive that it actually kind of puts you at a at a real disadvantage. So um, I, I agree with you in terms of maintaining awareness, waiting a turn, uh, anticipating catches, all those kinds of things. But I think also trainers need to keep an eye on their shields as well, especially against opposing Annihilate teams, because my, my gosh, like once you go down a shield against Annihilate, it's so hard to to win the mirror match to to no shield you know call a potential shadow ball it's so tough to try to do that in that situation so uh it's high risk high reward i guess i'm i'm curious because you actually went to liverpool and i did a little bit of uh of research on the map here i've only flown into heathrow airport obviously i was in in london for euic one year and i went to worlds in 2022 uh, but i've never been as far northwest as uh liverpool and that's the spot of our first ever regional championship right when when we it had is. uh Azrae filming this everything on his phone and, <laughs> and trying to stream it you know and um I, I think there's a lot of history there and i think that's a very important kind of location for us as trainers but uh, i mean in our in our pre-recording talk you had, you said you had a lot of fun and, and you've been there uh, i think this is your second time if i'm not mistaken and uh you really enjoyed it could you speak to your experience going in person 100%. Like Liverpool, I really hope that um, they will keep the regional there because I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the city. Um, it really fe feels alive and vibrant and it's not um, as overwhelming as London is because like with London, it feels as if you have like a city and a city and a city. Like yeah. you have like the, the city center and all the touristy stuff. Then you have the Excel area where um, the, the tournament takes place. And that's kind of a little bit like that's away like Eastern, from, away Eastern from everything. Yeah. And that's like, you can, you can probably spend like two or three weeks in London and you could see something new every day. Yeah. I think Liverpool is a little bit different, but it still feels just like a big and alive city. And I think um, it speaks volumes that, we had the biggest um, European regional, like we broke the record um, for like the second year in a row. I think last year's Liverpool was also at that point in time, the biggest European regional we had. Mm -hmm. And just for, just for meeting the community, I think there is probably no better experience to, to have. Um, like if you are an American or a better from another continent continent, and looking for um, a tournament to, to go to that might not be an IC, um, I can definitely recommend Liverpool. Like, of course, it's it's a big commitment and there's maybe more more touristy city, like anything Mediterranean, I can definitely also recommend. Um, mm. But just, just the energy, uh, the socials that they organize year after year, um, like Ginger Ninja, who is a local, does a great job. Um, Adelian, the, the London's finest crew are, are typically involved and they always um, make uh, a really memorable weekend out of it all and yeah, then there's also the tournament part and 
if you if you let me, I could <laughs> speak a little bit about my personal run as well because um, it was it was eventful, <laughs> I might say. I, I'm excited for this because uh, because Y and I have have shared notes going into each episode, and he just wrote the good, the bad. And the ugly, and I, I want to know, <laughs> I want to know what the uh, what the good, the bad, and the ugly are of of the experience. So yeah, I, I think uh, I think everyone's really interested to hear. Okay, um, I'll start this off with the good part because okay, um, I didn't do too much prep before the regional, but I did feel uh, okay going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to try my um. My prediction from last week, the Avana Snow, and I built a team oh, yeah. around it that I was um, very, very confident about and very um, familiar with, um, my Pokemon and GBL. And lo and behold, first game, um, like I get to skip round one because I, I luckily got seeded. So uh, round two, when I was round two, I faced a team that has six losing matchups against Avana Snow. That was sweet. <laughs> Um, that was a that was a two and zero that my opponent couldn't even do anything about, uh-huh. um, because people didn't prepare for that, and I took advantage of that. Next round, I face Matt Beer. Matt Beer is uh, a streamer from the UK, mm-hmm. highly rewards player, um, really good at the game, and he did run the exact same team. Nighttime Clasher eventually piloted to victory. Um, I managed to. Call uh, an ice punch bait from his annihilate in the lead against my Skeledurge and um, did some good line calls 2 0 onto the next round. Feeling great. Next round, Dianowski. I think he was uh, the runner up of Stuttgart, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, he was like famously piloting the, the Guzzlord to new heights. Um, I was kind of excited to see more Guzzlord gaming because, as we all know, I'm a big <laughs> fan of those Dragon Dark types. Mm-hmm. No Gaslord inside. There's a Bastidon on the team. There's a Wigglytuff on the team. Ah. I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> um, but I make some I make some good predictions, some good line calls. I even managed to not get my Registeel baited out by the um, by the Wigglytuff safe swap and instead mm-hmm. counter swap my, my Whiskash to preserve the Registeel for the Pelipper in the back. Mm-hmm. I feel so... really good about my gameplay going into mm-hmm. the winners' finals. And there, and then, the ugly happens. The ugly is <laughs> massive on stream lag. I didn't manage to catch much of um, the day one stream because I was mainly battling. Um, but yeah, the right phone was not working as intended at all. Um, the left phone also had some uh, slight hiccups. But yeah. Um, it so happened that um, game one, I uh, lead ABA week to uh, Vigoroth, and mm. the lead Pokemon was Vigoroth. So I was immediately put, put on the back foot. Um, I managed to make catches, um, manage energy, and put myself into a position where, uh, upon rewatching the Twitch stream, I actually had a win condition. And I oh, played okay. to it quite well. Um, and unfortunately, I lost multiple Powder Snows um, from my Obama Snow. Um, <sighs> allowing the Vigoroth to escape with uh, some more health and um, preventing me from, from eventually sniping it with uh, my Shadow Dragonair. Um, I talked to the stream judge about the situation <laughs> and asked whether he thinks um, it was um, decisive in that game because I didn't want to push for a rematch if it could be seen as bad sport- sportsmanship, like 
-hmm. in the moment i didn't know exactly how many powder snows i lost like it was all happening so quickly i couldn't rewatch the footage yeah um and yeah basically the idea was oh yeah it probably didn't matter um the game will stand and i'm like typically okay with that but then in the second game basically the exact same situation happens uh with the one difference is that i win the game and even though I benefit from uh, a little lag on my opponent's end, um, I didn't really need switch advantage and probably would have had um, a very solid chance to win the game if the lag didn't occur in my favor. Anyway, that game gets rematched. So we have game one, um, a loss where I could have had a win con and do not get a rematch. And game two, um, a win that does get rematched where I probably still would have won the game. So <laughs> if there was no lag, I'm not 100% confident, but like 80% confident that I would have 2 0 again and uh, reached uh, the like day two on the winner's side of the bracket. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, like the rematch, um, new teams, because it's uh, different rules uh, than grassroots formats, like previously Sylph or, or now Battle Frontier. And yeah, I don't get the team call right. I just go in with the same team, thinking maybe my opponent will just honor like just gentleman's agreement ish uh the the rematch rules. But yeah, this time I lose the lead, I lose the game. I go out 0-2, I go down to the losers bracket, Stadastan uh goes ABA to Skeledodge twice and perfectly reads my lines lines. <laughs> um oh, like yeah. credit to him, like you have to you have to take a risk and he did that and it paid off. And that's my tournament run. That's uh, yeah. me out of it all after I felt very good about the team, very good about the gameplay, but not that great about the connection. Um, no hard yeah. feelings towards um, my opponent or the or the stream judge in that instance. Um, I was uh, <laughs> I was pissed that day. I I don't have to sugarcoat it. I was I was really not happy. But it's it's what happens. Like you have to make those split second decisions, even as a judge. Like it's 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 live TV, and after the first game, you don't know um, how the second game would look, and whether you might reconsider your decisions. And once the decision is made, it stands. So on to the next one. Yeah, I I don't know how much I can I can really add to it. I will say that the the production team has found really creative ways to try to get the the game to work optimally and I think that uh some events are just better than others. A lot of that is dependent on the internet capabilities at the venue. Um and I think that what we can all agree on though is that we deserve better. Like we deserve a game that that runs smoothly all the time, especially when there's this much money at stake, when all these championship oh, points that's are at true. stake. Don't me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't mean to. Yeah, I don't mean to. You know, ah, dr drudge up bad feelings, but yeah, I think as as players we deserve better, and um, it's always like a tough spot for me, you know, as a as a caster because I can't I can't like disclose what the team is working on. And I can't, you know, just come out and just shake my fist at at Niantic or TPCI, whoever, and say, oh, it's all your fault. You know, you screwed up. But it's it's like most things in life, there, there's kind of a gray area. There's a, a mix of things that, that are happening. And um, yeah, I mean, it can be really disappointing. Uh, the worst one that I think we ever had was at LAIC when Har Jeff was taking on uh, LNDS Tricks and I believe in grand finals. And um I think it was it was decisive game number five, and they get about 
30 to 45 seconds into the game and then both devices just completely lag out uh-huh. and you're like come on man like this is just the worst absolute worst time and i mean you know for, for trainers like yourself that have already qualified for worlds and you have all these other social aspects to enjoy and you have su- such a history playing the game it hurts but it's not going to be something that makes you feel like yeah. you should never go to an event again but that I think for thankfully not that much on the line for me. So yeah, it was it was one evening of like grinding my teeth. But yeah, like life goes on. Yeah, and and I just think that that's important to just to to kind of distinguish as well because yes, because we're competitive, we want to win, and it does sting, and it is you know it bothers us afterwards. But at the same time, a lot of trainers who maybe are coming to a tournament for the first time, and that happens to them there's a good chance that they never come back oh, to another yeah, tournament. And, and we just need to to stop having that happen because uh, we want more people to enjoy the game. We want them to play the game. And if they don't think it's fair, then they're not going to try, right? So, well, a mixed bag. I have, I have seen uh, seen my com- competitors, like top GBL competitors, such as um, Panic23. Um, oh, yeah. I'm talking on Twitter about how the state of the game is what prevents them from attending play Pokemon tournaments. I do think in this specific instance, it had more to do with um, the venue's Wi-Fi rather than um, with um, like the the Niantic side of things. Sure. But like all those all those uh, bits and pieces have to work together to just create an experience where the competitor can really play a match and think afterwards, okay, like everything that happened is down to my decisions and the decisions my opponent made and not down mm-hmm. to anything else out of outside of our control. And um yeah. I think we are closer to that experience in many oh, instances. I agree. Um like we've we've come a long way. But there's still there's still a way to go to just have this consistency that it's not only um, like smooth and almost perfect for like 90, 90% of battles, but for a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that you're spot on. It's, um, it's interesting because I've been looking at other games and how they've succeeded or failed over the, over the recent years. And I think two things I, I've identified are, are really important. The, the second biggest reason for a game to fail or for people to stop playing is lack of content, right? If you don't have an update, if you don't have a new feature, if you don't have a new item or something that gets players excited, they don't want to play with the same things over and over for months and years. And that's pretty obvious on its face. And the second one is quality and consistency of the game. Uh, for example, I've been a big fan of the finals which is a FPS shooter game, uh, kind of like an arena style shooter, but kind of open map. Uh, essentially, you you gather money and try to have the most money at the end of the round is how I'd sum it up in one sentence. But at the top of the rankings, they have a serious problem with uh, with players that are aimbotting or have like software that that allows them to just, you know, fry you from across the map. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the very competitive players, maybe from Call of Duty, from Apex Legends, from Halo, whatever it might be, that go to the finals, they say, yeah, I want to I want to do well here. And then they get up to that higher rank and they just start getting annihilated by cheaters. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to play this anymore. And this is kind of a long drawn out analogy, but it, but I think the, the principle is the same. If you don't have a fair and equal game, then it's not going to survive long-term. And then the second most important thing is, of course, new content. We've got the Annihilate Swy, but we need a consistent 
fun game. <laughs> it's what we need next, right? It is true. It is true. Yeah. Um, and also, um, speaking to the idea of, okay, there, there needs to be new content. I do think one instance of introducing new content that was actually quite well made this season was um, PvP spawns being available at those events. Oh, yeah. And now that I've been to an event for the first time during this in-game season, like this three-month period of the Go Battle League, um, I do think that maybe somebody should check back with Niantic to potentially update those spawns depending on the season. Because mm -hmm. I was able to catch Pokemon like Scraggy or um, maybe an Alolan Vulpix or mm -hmm. a Magitite. And those Pokemon for sure are viable and are not bad at all. But I do think in this current meta, they've kind of fallen out of favor. Or their, uh, their evolutions have fallen out of favor. Sure. Um, I wonder whether that needs to be more dynamic for the future. But that's just, that's just a short aside. Um, like The nice thing about those spawns is um, that they help somebody who might not be um, the most prolific battler right now. Assemble a roster that might make them into a champion a year from now. And yes. that could mirror the, the story that Nighttime Clasher um, wrote in Liverpool because I met the guy a year ago before he casted um, the regional championship in Bochum, Germany. Uh. And he basically admitted that he was like almost a casual, didn't really have all of the Pokemon. He enjoyed his spice. He, he wanted to go to more regionals and he wanted to really put his heart into it. And look where it, where it got him. Like this, yeah. is, this is honestly just a great example for anyone who's starting out new, in my opinion. Yeah, I I mean it's it's been incredible to watch uh Nighttime Clasher. He's definitely been big on the memes. He's been a big stage <laughs> presence. And uh I, I had a chance to to catch up with Nighttime Clasher in San Antonio. And I mean, the kid is just a machine. He's he's very easygoing when you talk to him. You know, he's very personable, uh, he likes to joke, but uh his brain is always working. And he's actually worked on a few different mobile games and has casted for other mobile games as well. And he saw Pokemon Go and thought, oh man, this is gonna be a, a really fun game. I should get into this. And um yeah, I mean, amazing fact about Nighttime Clasher, this this might make you laugh. You know that he still does not have a defense form Deoxys in his inventory at all? Was it even available for the time he actively played the game for, for PvP reasons? I don't think so. I don't think he's ever caught defense form Deoxys. Oh, ever. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing to think, right? Because we talk about, uh, for example, Mega Absol is coming back in an upcoming event. And we're thinking, yeah, when was the last time we saw this Pokemon? I'll, I'll save you the Google search. It was 2021. It's been Yo. three three years since we saw this thing. And uh, for, for trainers like like Nighttime Clasher, for other trainers that are looking to get, it, to get into the championship series, it can feel daunting. It can feel like, oh, I don't have XL Azumarill. I don't have my uh, Mankey for an Eye Leave. I don't have this. I don't have that. And whereas with VGC, you can just sit down on, on your console and you can play from wherever you are. Or with TCG, you can just go buy the cards that you need. In Go, there really is no way to get these Pokemon without catching them or trading them. So I think mm. that 
what especially you said. with like defense from the oxus that can't be yeah. traded right yeah exactly that's another barrier right which is which is an even greater barrier uh but like you said about the regional events i think they're perfect uh, the regional events are the best events that nobody seems to know about that's just, true I'm going to say it because you get the Stardust bonus, you get Carbink spawns, you get a uh, Meditite and, and Meryl spawns. I mean, it's just like, it's a perfect place if you want to build a roster, like you said, but I, I thought that was a beautiful segue into NTC nighttime clasher. Should we talk about him some more? Because I have some notes on his run and his, I, I got to say, so I, his run was one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen. <laughs> I know that he, he waved at me from across the tables when he was playing Tonton Matus. <laughs> uh, the reigning European champion. I guess. I guess now that automatically makes NTC the reigning European champion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, please, please enlighten me. Who who did he all like? It can't be like it can't be the best trainers in Europe, right? It can't um, be. I I have bad news for you, Swireless. Oh. Uh, you you had a pretty you had a pretty stellar intro, but I'm just going to uh, I'm going to cement why that intro was was so poignant this is just on the money uh nighttime clash's first round was against vincey wincy his second round was against hk assassin took down both of those trainers 2-0 both of them finished number 13 at the london last chance qualifiers for worlds in 2022 and after that he took on tantan batus which obviously is our euic 2023 champion has also hit top five in the Go Battle League with a number of additional accomplishments, right? Number nine in Liverpool, number four in Stuttgart, and number nine finish at Worlds all in 2023. He then took on Alejandro DL, which I think a lot of trainers call him Whiskey, right? Yeah, Whiskey yeah. finished fourth in Turin in 2023, 17th in Lille this season, and has hit number one on the GBL leaderboards. He then took on Hikami, who finished ninth in Bilbao in 2023 and has various other top 20 finishes. He took on Stone Collection, which, I mean, needs no introduction. Stone Collection has done really well. Won the last chance qualifier back in 2022. He took on the first ever Liverpool champion, Lurkin Rocket, who finished obviously first in Liverpool 2022 and then fourth at Worlds in 2022. He then took on Pablo Andinas, who finished seventh at Torino in 2023 and 13th at Bilbao. So, I mean... These are not pushover players. This isn't somebody we haven't heard of. This isn't a trainer that's going to their first tournament. These are seasoned competitors. And it's <laughs> honestly wild that the Toga Damaru kid, NTC himself, <laughs> is just running through these players like, like it's nobody's business. He literally had zero easy rounds. Like I don't know how familiar, especially like, uh, our listeners across the pond are with um like some of the earlier names but i've played i've played basically all of those people in practice tournaments and like those are even even those who like don't have like a regional title to their name like <laughs> those are those are tryhards those they know their they know their <laughs> game like i wouldn't be surprised to see any of those on top cut and nighttime clash are just eliminating them one by one like you have to give it to him. Like, that's not a fluke run. Like, nobody expected it to be a fluke run. Like, mm -hmm. NTC is the first player ever, um, if I if I got that, if I got that correct, to actually top cut on three different continents. Um, because he also uh, managed to reach top 16 at LAIC uh, earlier this season. Uh -huh. And yeah, I yeah. He's, he's, he's just a force. He's, he's just a force to be reckoned with now. He's cooking. 
yeah, he's, he's like, cooking. I I think I remember in in the match versus uh, Pablo Minas, the the trainer who managed to knock me down to the losers bracket. Uh-huh. Um, he caught a superpower from a Dragonite on his annihilate. Oh, how do you do that? Like devastating. I I know like he didn't catch his flight, but he, everything else that there was to catch, he did catch. So like. <laughs> Yeah, he really, even caught really some prioritize like the big moments. He even caught some shade in the uh, pre grand finals <laughs> interview. <laughs> he caught some shade from Tomahawk. Oh, he invites that. He invites that. I'm gonna read this quote. Right, this was Tomahawk mm-hmm. in Nighttime Clasher in the in the Casters Lounge before the grand finals, and I think you know most of the time it's pretty friendly, and and I think Dilap Chong had had a very memorable quote. Um, one of the casters asked him, Dilap, are you hungry for a win? Dilep says, hungry? I'm starving, you know, <laughs> starving for a win. And that was, that was huge, right? That was, that was really funny. Well, Tomahawk sitting right next to Nighttime Clasher, right? He looks at, dead at the caster and he says, on behalf of everyone in Europe, nobody wants Nighttime Clasher to win. <laughs> and I, I paused, I paused the stream and I said, oh, that's how it is. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I <laughs> I love that we have um, like this this little like it, it's not just about world's qualification now. Mm-hmm. It's about it's about the honor of an entire continent going into the next regionals and internationals. Like I know there will be a ton of Americans and probably some Canadians, um, maybe also battlers from other parts of of the world coming to EUIC, and I know that some Americans are already like side-eyeing us like okay okay you guys make sure that you defend that before you talk back at us at all about maybe going to to naic and, and uh-huh. doing something big there but like my time uh your your <laughs> european co-cast and eloquence already uh-huh. like called on on those europeans to to assemble and and go to new orleans later this year i will i will follow him into battle and Try oh. to restore the honor of the European PvP community, um, and maybe take a win overseas. But yeah, like previously, we had Bibilicious who uh, yeah. uh, managed to uh, finish as a runner-up at a North American regional as a battler from Sweden. Um, mm-hmm. That was nice. That was um, a good show- showcase of what Europeans can do. But like now. No, no, they really turned up the heat. They, they really <laughs> put it all on the line there. And yeah, like we're, we're on the back foot. And you see, managed to really, really, um, I won't, I, I won't say like, uh, probably, okay. I, I will say he, he managed to hurt some, some, some feelings, some feelings of pride, but I, I still think that this is just this is just a fun game. This is just like yeah. shit talking. Like there there's still a lot of mutual respect, but uh-huh. every every region wants to be the best. And um it's it's the Europeans' time to prove themselves again. Um yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. I, it's so funny because uh, a lot of the Pokemon Go community is very uh, reserved. You know, we like to keep things to ourselves. If we win or lose, we don't really express it as much uh, as as maybe other games, right? When when you have, uh, for example, like Apex Legends, they win a match and the players stand up 
you know, from their, from their, their station. And they look at the other team and they start cursing and they're like, yeah, you're trash. <laughs> you know, you're dirt. You can't do anything against us, you know? And, and we don't get any of that in, in go. So I think it's, it's always interesting to see the emotions come out. And I think that we should hope for more of that. Cause I think it's, it builds for interesting characters, right? It builds for people you can cheer for and villains that you want to see lose. And I think that all that dynamic is really good because the, the, the saying is true, right? Iron sharpens iron. And when you have, EU and NA in a rivalry, it's just going to make us all better. You know, we don't get better if we just say, oh yeah, you know, EU is pretty good, but I'm not going to really try (laughs) to win. Right. I think that this, this um, mindset of trying to win no matter where you are is something that's really unique. And I think Nighttime Clasher, you you have it in your notes here. Nighttime Clasher really proved what's possible. And I think that's so important for other people to to notice. 100%. And like, as you said, I do think this this might push the competition to new heights and i'm especially excited for the storyline it will build like the next european that um competes in in na like everybody will be rooting for him like everybody in europe of course not in north america but like (laughs) there's there's something on the line now it's just it's not just oh i go there i have a good time and I, Mm. i see some some friends from the internet this is this is serious business now and mm-hmm. my my message to all the Americans out there thinking like oh like bald eagles American flags we are <laughs> we are the greatest nation on earth. America. The last tournament was won by a Canadian. <laughs> so oh ouch! Like ouch! Don't don't speak too soon, you guys. Don't speak too soon. <laughs> Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Well. <laughs> Well, I wanted to point out a couple of things about the grand finals, which, you know, I was mentioning Nighttime Clasher's opponents. We didn't even get to the grand finals in his opponent there. He took on Tomahawk UK, which is a pretty familiar face around the PvP community. Going all the way back to 2022, Tomahawk actually finished ninth at the London LCQ at Worlds. He took second at Warsaw 2023. And then this season, he's been on a top cut tear. Number three in Barcelona, number five in Stuttgart, and number two in Liverpool, his most recent finish. Tomahawk, no pushover either. But there's so much poetry in this Grand Finals because I noticed that the first game of the Grand Finals had just a slight variation that that turned out in a loss for Nighttime Clasher, but a slight adjustment in Game 8 after the reset actually turned it into a win. So almost identical teams here. We had Nighttime Clasher in Game 1 of the Grand Finals with Shadow Gligar, Lickitung, and Annihilate. And then we had Tomahawk UK with Dugong, Annihilate, and Lantern. So obviously, Shadow Gligar, Dugong, that's not a good matchup. NTC has to pivot. He has to work his way through the matchup. It basically comes down to an ice shard damage coming through and KOing the Gligar before he can get to his final charge attack. And I'm not saying that the final charge attack would have definitely KO'd, but he was pretty close. It would have given him a chance. And then we fast forward all the way to game eight. This time, Nighttime Clasher with Whiskash, Annihilate, Shadow Gligar. So he kept the Annihilate and the Shadow Gligar just kind of rotated the order. And he led into Annihilate, Lantern, Dugong from uh, Tomahawk UK. This time, though, that Gligar gets revenge. It comes in against the Dugong, gets the final wing attack. And then the Aerial Ace is barely enough to knock out the Dugong and take the 3-0 sweep. Amazing pivot from Nighttime Clasher to lose the first set of the Grand Finals. And he still has a flight to catch that's in the back of his head, but he makes adjustments <laughs> and takes a 3-0 to win the reset, which is really amazing. Yeah, it just showcases the adaptability. And I kind of want to 
zone in on the the dugong pick a little more because going sure. into top cut only two trainers brought the dugong had the dugong on their team um and both of them ended up in the grand finals and i do not think that is a co- coincidence um speedy yeah. what, what are your thoughts on the dugong pick no i i absolutely agree i think the dugong uh like we kind of teased earlier with the skull debuff versus the icy wind debuff dugong is just so much more consistent it's so much uh it's a bit bulkier right than Whiskash as well and the ice coverage is definitely underrated when you have a pokemon like gligar because you think about countering gligar and yes you can use water type pressure you know we see the skull from Whiskash, the surf from lantern but what you really want is ice coverage and it feels like it's so tough to run shadow lowland sand slash because it's double weak to counter and it just gets annihilated pardon the pun by annihilate <laughs> and then you've got frostlass which seems to struggle against the normal types the bulkier dark types and a lot of the neutral picks like lantern so where's your third option you go for the water and ice type dugong which is is a little bit slower right granted the pacing is a bit slower but you can take so much damage especially after throwing the first icy wind i mean the first time i really saw dugong succeed was at naic when both mountain dugong and wadage were playing <laughs> it but now that we have it uh, making its way across the pond and doing really well, I mean, it just kind of seems like a no-brainer. Do you agree, or, or were you surprised? Um, I personally have to say that I had like a very similar thought about core breakers going into the tournament, but my idea was still to bring in the Obama Snow. And there have been two Obama Snows in Top Cut, so I would just say like, a little prediction game. Um, I see zero Trevenant, so oh, um, I think I win this round. Yes. Um, but the one thing that Dugong, um, besides like the greater bulk, one thing that Dugong has going for it is that it actually has a positive Skarmory matchup. So mm-hmm. Dugong, one of the very few things that uh, manages to beat the Whiskash Skarmory core. And I do think um, that given the fact that Dugong wasn't really a thing before this tournament. I do think, actually, I want to shout out um, Pocket, who is uh, one of the more inventive trainers in North America. Mm-hmm. I do think he had Dugong um, on his team in, in Charlotte, even, and it did serve him well. And similar to last season, where he identified Superior as the strongest brass type early and earlier than others, I don't think he also managed to identify the strongest ice type currently. And yeah, Dugong definitely caught people off guard. Um, even counter users, because Annihilate is not as bulky as uh, Medicham or has as good of a resistance profile as Polyrath has um, mm-hmm. against Dugong. So even there, there's, there's counterplay now. Like You can actually damage... Um, the counter user of choice quite a bit with the counter weak dugong so mm-hmm. it's it's very well positioned in, in this matter um but nobody knew about it because it wasn't top 12 in usage and not on too many top cut teams the last time around mm-hmm. um i would actually predict that the matter for the upcoming originals will keep dugong in mind i do think more people will pick it up and i do think more people will actually prepare for it and bring out their dugong counters to not just get caught totally off guard like this time where the two dugong basically <laughs> ran through day two with mm-hmm. no real resistance. 
Interesting. What do you think? What do you think some prominent counters could be? Because I don't think it's favorable for grass. I think you'd have to go either more lantern, more counter users, or even I don't know rock coverage somehow. I'm not sure how you'd beat dugongs. I personally do think that there is a place. I can't believe that I say that. Please beep that out in the post production. But I do think <laughs> there is a place for Bastiodon in the current show six meta uh, yeah. game. I'm just gonna burn um, the episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um. <laughs> People might also just bring their charger bugs. They have brought their charger bugs, but it wasn't enough. Mm. Um, I could see more Skeleturge, actually, um, mm-hmm. because we had some fire types in, in the top cut, but um, I don't know whether those actually managed to um, get aligned to, to Dugong teams. Mm-hmm. Because Skeleturge lives a drill run, and um, the... Yeah. The incinerate's just chunk, mm-hmm. so that's not the worst matchup. And I also just believe that Annihilate will definitely shoot up from its current 20% usage to probably about double that for the next regional, so that will also help cover um, for the Dugong better, because there's been some top cut teams that just don't have a counter user. For example, Lurgan Rocket placing fourth without a counter user on, on his team. Yep. Um, I don't think we'll, we'll see that happening going forward. I think counter mm-hmm. users will become a staple again. Agreed. So maybe maybe Dunebugs run in San Antonio with no counter user. Maybe that was one of the last times that we're going to see that, at least for a while. Right? I could totally see that. <laughs> well, I have a question for you, actually. Mm-hmm. So Whiskash has been a big... Oh topic of debate right i have some notes here this is in regards to the grand finals so whiskash was on nighttime clashers team it was not on tomahawk uk's team a lot of people are saying ah skull debuff too strong you know don't like it you know drop it down to 30 percent, get rid of it whatever you whatever the dialogue might be i would agree. my question you'd agree oh okay, yeah, yeah. okay well well my question to, to you here is we saw i actually did all the numbers right we saw Wizcash in five out of eight total games in the grand finals mm-hmm. i want you to just guess right don't don't look at the notes i want you to guess how many mud bombs nighttime clasher threw and how many scalds he threw okay, five okay. out of eight games five out of eight games um let's say Eight scalds and four mud bombs. Is that your final answer? It is my final answer. Nighttime Clasher threw one scald in the grand finals. Oh. He threw one scald and it was in game number two when he, he played Shadow Gligar, Whiskash, Annihilate versus the opposing Annihilate Lantern, Dugong. So I assume he scalded the Annihilate. He threw one scald and he got one debuff. Now, that's juxtaposed against the mud bomb number. I was shocked. He threw 12 mud bombs wow. in the grand finals and one I scald. Think, I think that might actually be actually be um, a sign of understanding the Whiskash better than the general public because okay. I was basing my numbers not on the grand finals because um, we're recording. It's, it's already Thursday for me, so the grand mm. finals are some days behind. Mm. Um, but just in GBL, I see just people scalding, scalding, even if it's a resistor, just scald. You might get the debuff, you might flip it. Um, <laughs> but Mud Bomb is a good move, and it's cheaper. And yeah. sometimes you need two moves anyway, so why fish for a debuff you might not need if you can just get to two Mud Bombs way faster? 
Yeah. And especially considering the matchups, I mean, he was up against the Annihilate quite a bit, the Lantern quite a bit. And uh, if Annihilate's getting to Night Slash every five counters, then it just makes more sense to outpace 5-4 Mud Bomb, right? Definitely. Well, unless you have any other thoughts on Liverpool, I think we can move on to our Knoxville predictions and a little bit of a leaderboard update with championship points. Oh yeah, let's let's look ahead. All right. So Trevenant did not work out. I thought that Trevenant was going to be a prominent pick in Liverpool. Turned out not to be, but I have a new pick. My pick for Knoxville coming up this weekend. Drum roll. This one's this one's actually really spicy. I don't know if you're ready. Oh, I might not be. My pick is Cresselia. I think Cresselia is is due for a resurgence. <laughs> it can, it's spicy. It can beat Annihilate, Whiskash, Lantern, and Gligar. And that's that's four out of six of, of most of these top meta teams, right? Yes, you have to avoid the uh, Skarmory. Yes, you need to avoid Lickitung in most situations. But I think Cresselia, it's kind of fallen out of the meta, but I think it's undervalued. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think you did identify a very good core breaker. Um, my issue with Cresselia is just its availability because you do want a really good one. You do want um, nice PvP IVs. So there's even like bulk points and breakpoints you kind of don't want to miss out on. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to get that kind of Cresselia like tournament ready. That's like going back to the accessibility problems that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So why do why I do see Cresselia being a successful Pokemon, um, I could see, um, like I have two picks written down, but I like one of them is a meme that I might bring to Dortmund, and the other, the other, <laughs> is Jellicent, because oh, okay, you will have to cover for Lickitung quite a bit because that is an ugly, ugly matchup. Other than that, Jellicent looks to be super well positioned in my opinion. Like you can beat the Gligar. Um, you look really strong against Annihilate. Um, if you like, if a Shadow Ball connects, like, your Cresselia also doesn't really want any part of it. I think that's still like pretty close because Cress paces to the grass nuts rather quickly. Yeah. Um, but still, like the one thing that I think Cresselia has over, um, no, that Jellison has over Cresselia is the Skarmory matchup. Because yes. with the mm-hmm. amount of Whiskashes going around, and also just with what I have seen, what has been uh, partnered with Annihilate in the Go Battle League, I would assume that Skarmory will be a big player going forward. And Jellicent resisting the Steel Wings, um, having the bulk to even tank a Brave Bird, um, I do think that um, you do want those, those core breakers for the, the popular course like Whiskash Skarmory, Annihilate Skarmory, uh, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And you basically force um, Dugong to not pull any debuff shenanigans because that would be resisted. <laughs> um, so I do think that Jellicent could find like up to like four, like I would say three to five targets on about every every top meta team these days. And hmm. that might be good enough to um, maybe top cut. I wouldn't be surprised. Interesting, interesting. So I, I think that uh, one of the most famous Jellicent players, at least in, in my own opinion, has got to be Martine. You know, Inadequate seems to bring the Jellicent to regionals. He brings it to practice tournaments. He brings it in GBL. He's all about the Jellymeister. 
uh, as, as it's been referred to. Right. And uh, I can't say I'm overly surprised that, that you and, and Martine are aligning on the Jellison pick here. Uh, will it be that good in the face of, you know, the obvious picks like Lantern and uh, maybe like you said, Cresselia is a close matchup as well. I don't know, but I kind of like the idea of being able to eat a shadow ball and threaten the annihilate with the shadow ball of your own. It kind of at, at any moment, you know, which I think is a, a really good feature to have. So, okay. All right. So my, my Cresselia pick for Knoxville and your jealousy, those are our core breakers. And you said, you said you have a meme pick as well. I, I think this one's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Um, I do not know whether this will make its way to Dortmund, um, because that will be the next tournament where, where I will be competing. Um, but I have played some GBL matches uh, with Salazel, and I have to <laughs> say I, I reached a new season high with it. I'm in the 3200s currently. Whoa. Um, it's, it gets to a Poison Fang within two incinerates, and... If you look at the two shield scenario versus um, the entirety of Nighttime Cash's team, there's only one Pokemon you really fear, which is the Whiskash. And if you mm. build around it in a way that you can fend off the, the Mud Boys, the Whiskashes, the, especially the ground type damage, um, then a two shielded Salazel can just snowball into something that is really difficult to stop. Because you just. You just do so much incinerate damage. The the damage from incinerate got a buff. You still have the debuffing utility with the poison fangs that you get to super quickly. Mm-hmm. And you are basically made of glass. Like you have so much attack that even even like a lantern, after a couple after a couple of debuffs, it will it will notice those incinerates. <laughs> and it's a very risky pick. Yeah. But I could mm-hmm. see it being high risk, high reward. I will play test it some more. I, I will not tell anybody, like, this is not financial advice. Uh, don't <laughs> invest in a Celestial just yet. Um, but it could be fun. And also, I do know that um, friend of the show, Evan777, you know the sevens, he'll be in Knoxville, and he's a spice pick of his own this time. And uh, uh. I do think that's that's a good idea too. So maybe maybe we'll see well, what, what this trainer cooks up. I remember uh, trying a little bit of Salazzle when the incinerate buff came through and I thought, oh yeah, you know, double resist fairy types, <laughs> you just burn through everything. But to me, Salazzle has always had the Galvantula issue, as I like to call it. It just can't stretch itself further than one matchup and you definitely have to give it shield. So I, I don't know how you're playing it. I don't know how you're playing it at such a high level. Uh, I admire it and it's a mystery to me, but uh, I would be very excited to see it. Uh, even if you decide to bring it as a meme, uh, you know, you know what they say, right? Everything's a meme until it's not, and you find exactly. out it's real. Exactly. So. Remember last season, like Shadow Marwell won a regional, Victini won a regional. Why not Salazar? <laughs> like the weird things that do fire type damage. I'm I'm here for it. It's true. It's true. You, I mean, you never know what can happen. So we've got about 127 days as of the publication of this episode that you can gather championship points to try to qualify for the world championships in Honolulu, Hawaii. But we have a new leaderboarder here, a new number one on our championship point leaderboards. Mm-hmm. Dunebug97 has overtaken Har Jeff. It took it took him weeks for for someone to overtake this trainer but doombug at 757 points has the most points in the world even more than someone who's won an international competition and a regional 
So that's a pretty remarkable achievement. But and he's also. Say, I have to say that I do think that Nighttime Clash's point total has not updated yet. If ah. you add the 200 points from his original win in Liverpool, I do think he would actually be the new world number one. No way. We're, we're living in a timeline, Swilus, where the guy who wore a chef's hat on stream <laughs> is the number one player on the planet. Are you kidding Apparently me? so. Apparently so. The guy who tells us to throw the less effective move out of respect for your opposing trainer. <laughs> what is this timeline? What is this? <laughs> it's it's uh, the timeline of, of cooking. <laughs> We we are we are in in the cooking verse here the the an NTC multiverse perhaps the cooking verse of madness I would watch that movie oh yeah oh absolutely <laughs> well again everybody about 127 days give or take uh, after the publication of this episode to get those championship points to try to qualify for Worlds in Honolulu I think we're nearing the end of the episode is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we head out Swai or are you ready to just kind of pack it in and get ready for Knoxville? I want to mention that um, even though Knoxville is for sure exciting, that also our Australian friends are heading into a regional weekend with Melbourne coming up very soon. Um, and yeah, like I have um, talked to, to some of them. And yeah, like they're a little sad that there is no more OCIC, but mm-hmm. um, I, I still do think that, especially given last Worlds, where the Australians actually overperformed um, like in comparison to like their, their comparatively lower number, yes. uh, we should probably also um, in the future have an eye on, on that and see how that goes. Because um, like there's, there's talented trainers all around the globe, and while we've really been focusing on this... Um, North America versus Europe divide that opened up. Um, <laughs> it could all be for for nothing if um, Edwards in Hawaii in Honolulu, maybe an Australian wins it all. Like we we don't know yet, and mm. yeah, I just I'm just excited to to see all those different flavors of PvP over the upcoming weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, for the last uh, regional championship in Australia, I believe it was a, a combined effort of Debbie Pebble, PvP Steve, and Zoe Two Dots to record over the shoulder of Jakubovic and his opponent to record those games. Uh, I actually watched back that footage because I always catalog the teams that we see in the grand finals. And I just watched Jakubovic just pummel his opponent with Lantern Superior Metacham. I mean, he just it is the same Pokemon, right? The same tools. This is the best, like driver versus car argument I've ever seen because Jakubovic was just the better driver. I mean, he, he had the same exact Pokemon as his opponent, but he just managed to find every win condition. So that was really exciting. Run. That was it a was, crazy run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking back at the bracket, we wish there was a stream. It would have been so much fun to watch. Um, you're exactly right though. We've got a Melbourne and Knoxville double header, and I'm so sorry that it took me so long into the episode to to mention that. But thank you, Zwei. That, that's why that's we work why well here. together. That's why I'm here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Best co-host. Well, that being said, I think that we're just about ready to wrap up. That's why it's been an honor, a privilege. Uh, sorry, everybody, that the episode's out a little bit later than usual. I'll take the blame for that. That's on me. But we're going to try to be consistent uh, going forward. But yeah, I'm glad you had a good time in Liverpool. I'm excited to see what comes in Knoxville and Melbourne. And then Stuttgart, maybe Salazzle time. Dortmund, but we're getting there. Oh, excuse we're me. We're getting Dortmund. there. <laughs> Different city. 
All right, Zwei, yes, yes. have a good one, and I'll see you <laughs> after Knoxville. You too. See you next week. Thank you.